Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to a brand new podcast. This is Matt Morgan, and today we are talking about the Enneagram Type 9, and I have with me a special guest and friend, Aaron Peerboom. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So Aaron's got a really cool job. She's a speaker around the country. I know you just got back from a big tour all around, and you actually teach on thinking and behavior assessment. So personality, strengths, all that kind of stuff is your wheelhouse. And also I know instructional design, you know, instructing training materials. So I'm curious for you as a 9, and since this is your whole world, how has the Enneagram impacted you personally as you actually already do this? (laughs) I think it's been interesting because the tool that I work with is one that I've been very committed to. I used to work for the company itself. And so I've always been like, okay, I recognize there are other things, other tools that are in the given space, but none of them have resonated with me quite in the same way of working with the Emergent X profiles, the one that I work with. And so I've always been hesitant. I don't want to say hesitant because I think I have some awareness of what they look like, but again, none of them I felt like have really captured me very well. So I'm like, okay, there's a time and a place for those. But for me personally, it hasn't resonated that much. And then when I started reading the Enneagram, I'm like, oh boy, this really hits the nail on the head. And I think it overlaps with a lot of the stuff that I talk about in my speaking engagements and in the tool that I use, but it's just taking a different slice of that perspective. And I do really like what I've read so far, what I've learned so far about the Enneagram. That's awesome. Well, we're going to have fun today. So the nine is the peacemaker. And remember, if you're listening, you're just jumping in and you're thinking, am I a peacemaker or am I married to one or related to one or work with one? You can go or you can send your partner or friend to go online. You can just Google Enneagram free quiz and uh, take it there. If you go to the introduction... A few weeks ago, we even talked about a specific website to go to. So make sure you check out the intro to be able to understand the Enneagram before you jump into this particular type or topic. So for the peacemaker, peacemakers are pleasant. I mean, everybody almost loves a peacemaker. The nine is so fun. They're laid back. They're accommodating. They're like a comfy chair that you just want to like fall into and have fun with and connect with. They're super easygoing. And you are extremely healthy nine that I have seen. There is a fire in you. I see sometimes in you, you have a great, probably because of your profession as a speaker and a communicator. It's like, wow, is she a nine? A lot of times nines are like, oh, I don't want to talk in public, that kind of thing. But you have this special gift within your nineness. But let me just first, for all of you listening, I want to unpack some descriptions around a nine. And then Aaron, I'm curious for you as I read these out loud, maybe tell me what percentage of these maybe land on you personally. Okay. So here's the descriptions of a nine when it comes to this type. Now, again, Again, that's not your core motivation. These are behaviors. We'll talk about core motivation, which is really how you figure out your number. But here's the descriptions. Here we go. I'll do almost anything to avoid conflict. (laughs) I'm not a self-starter. Sometimes I get lost in doing trivial tasks while things that really need to get done get put off. I'm happy to go along with what others want to do. I tend to procrastinate. People seem to want me to become more decisive. When I get distracted and go off task, I give my attention to whatever is right in front of me. I often choose the path of least resistance. I find routines in home and work comforting and I feel unsettled when something throws them off. Others see me as more peaceful than I really am. Inward stubbornness, especially when people put demands on me, are big for me. I have a hard time getting started, but once I do, man, I really get things done. I'm a what you see is what you get person. 
I don't think of myself as very important. Others are more important than me. People think I'm a good listener, even though I find it hard to pay attention in a long conversation. (laughs) I don't like to take work home with me. Sometimes I tune out and think about the past. I don't enjoy big social gatherings. I prefer quiet evenings at home with the ones I love. Being outdoors is very soothing for me. And lastly, it would be selfish of me to spend the whole day doing whatever I wanted to do. Okay, so when you hear those, what in particular resonate with you that jump out for you? Oh my goodness, like 95% of it. You read so many of these and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have a story for every single one of them. There's a couple of them that I think it hit me a little bit like, ooh, that one hurts. And so I wouldn't say it's maybe 100% accurate, but I could definitely see elements of how I'd be in that. But oh boy, I'm just... So the trivial tasks, I this even happened this morning. So luckily we had a late start for school, so I had a little more time, but I knew I had a lot of stuff going on that I need to get myself ready for a business meeting, actually be presentable in a different way than just what it looks like when I drop the kids off for school. And a bunch of different appointments and I've been traveling and so... I went to make the kids lunches and I realized one of their little bento boxes wasn't clean. So I started when I had to find it, but to find it, then I had to figure out where was it. So it was underneath these other pots. And I thought, well, in order for me to get to this, I might as well just wash these pots because everything is in the way. So I start washing these pots and then I wash the bento box and I'm like, but look at all these other dishes that need to be cleaned. And maybe I should straighten up here and, oh, maybe I can go do this and make focus, Erin. You need to get yourself ready. You need to get the kids ready. This is what's important right now. You can come home later and do the dishes. And it was only because, you know, two days before I'd been reading about how the nines get grossly distracted like this and how their tendency can be to avoid things they may tend to take on other habits, or I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but some people to be eating or drinking, or I don't have any addictions in that sense. Cleaning yeah. and organizing <laughs> Cleaning are and the organizing. places where you get lost. They're like, oh, I'll just... It's right in front of me, and I uh-huh. see it, and it's like, oh, I'll do that. That's a, That needs to get done. First set of finals in college, I remember my freshman year, right? And I'm faced with winter finals. And to sit down to study, I spent two and a half hours cleaning my room before I could focus. And my roommate was already in bed, ready to go for the next day by the time I even sat down to do any work. Wow. Yeah. I think so many nines would resonate with that statement. It's like, I know what I want to do, but I get distracted. For me, visually, if things are cluttered Mm -hmm. visually, it makes it hard for my brain to focus. Sure. But I also know it's a distraction tactic. Just sit down and read. So writing is a passion for me and it's something that I really want to get back to doing. And I had somebody say to me in my early 20s, he goes, Aaron, writers write. And do you think that I do any writing even now? No. So I'm working on, got my little planner here. I've written some things in this to work it out because if I do not schedule that in my day, I will get lost letting my day take my time rather than me taking my time in my day Mm. and deciding purposefully where I want to spend that time. Wow. How does that distraction orientation connect with your relationship with like your husband? Does that get in the way at all? Because I've heard other people say like, man, I'm married to a nine or I'm dating a nine and that nine ends up getting distracted. But if you don't know that that's what's happening, you think that sometimes that a nine is doing that to you to spite you. And as a result, they start getting angry. Like, you're doing this just to spite me, aren't you? I've asked you to do this thing. You said you were going to do it, and then you didn't do it. You're doing that to hurt me, aren't you? And the nine's like, no, I just, oh my gosh. But now that I think the Enneagrams gives people language, like, oh, that's just my nine coming out. It diffuses the other partner and helps them have compassion, which is what I love about the Enneagram. It gives you compassion for the other person. But I don't know how that plays out with you and your husband or any other relationships that you have. 
I don't think that my husband is very confrontational either. I've been thinking about his number, but not trying to, you know, diagnose for him. Sure. But I did say, hey, I'm reading this great book. I think it'd be really cool if you read it too. I think he just sometimes gets frustrated. Like, okay, you said you were going to the store. Why are you sweeping? And so it's just more of a like, really? Really? What are you doing? Really? Yeah. I don't know that any of those behaviors necessarily directly come back at him other than, and this is why when I was reading the book that you had recommended and the author's telling a story about his wife who his mother was coming to dinner and so his wife went to go to the store and two hours later, we're now 60 minutes away from mother-in-law arriving. He's like, where are you? She goes, oh, well, I went outside and the neighbor was having problems. So I helped the neighbor with this and then I did that and then I found something else to do and then I decided, oh, well, I'm by the pharmacy so I need to get this prescription and like this whole thing and I read this story and I went oh my gosh this is me like every weekend and so when we had people coming over I'm always the last one to run in the door because 1500 other things came up in front of it so other than frustration around focusing on the target he's one of those people that loves starting a task and finishing it right away and I've seen that completion whereas I can start I mean I do like completing things I love completing things but I also sometimes again right I may complete 50 things or it's like when somebody goes where'd your keys go and you would have done five other things and couldn't figure out where you put them. Yes. <laughs> they're like in the freezer. That's so interesting. Okay, so talk to me about what's the core motivation behind a nine? When I was looking at some of the questions that you were saying, okay, I'm going to ask you that I was trying to think, okay, what does that look like? Because I know in the research that I've done, it says it's around keeping the peace and avoiding conflict. And I think to a certain degree that resonates. I don't know that I stop and go, oh, this is going to be conflict. How can I avoid it? But I do know that conflict is very uncomfortable for me for a lot of reasons. Mm. It's just uncomfortable. I just don't don't like it. And so I think a lot of the motivation is how can we create a nice calm space? We don't need all this crazy chaos. We don't need Mm. all these arguments, these disagreements. And I know that that's, especially with the work that I've done around the other assessment that I use, I know that not everybody is wired that way. And what I perceive to be conflict or to be arguments is just somebody having a vibrant conversation, somebody being direct and putting it out there. So it's front of mind for me a lot about how... I can overcome some of those natural tendencies. So that's one that I'm kind of thinking like, okay, yes, at the root of it, it is to bring it back to a nice, comfortable place where we can just all live and be happy. I think about a lot of world events that are happening right now. And my first response to all of these things are, why do people have to be so mean to one another? Why can't we just be nice? So I think maybe that's one of my core motivations. Yeah. Why can't we just be nice to one another? For sure. And I love that you said too, like, hey, I don't like conflict, but I'm willing to have it. That's a healthy nine. It takes a lot of energy to do that. It takes a lot of energy to do that. And that's actually a very interesting question because, you know, nines actually have the least amount of emotional energy out of all all nine numbers. And I'm curious for you, how do you decide, especially in conflict situation, who gets your energy and who doesn't? I look at outcomes, like outcomes of relationships, I think are important. So with my husband, you know, recognizing that if we can, especially since I know he has avoidance tendencies as well, we would have the tendency to have a lot of stuff get smashed down and smashed down and smashed down. And then likely I'll be the one that blows up because I know that that's when I'm not in a good space. I go from zero to a hundred and then they're slamming doors and then there's like throwing things. You're not alone. Yeah, well, I'm just like, I'm almost 40 and I still throw things. It's bad. I still remember I had a, um, a situation when I worked in a corporate office and I was working in a computer program. I get really frustrated when things 
things don't work the way they're supposed to. So it was working in this Word document. The file was not doing what it was supposed to. I got really frustrated and I threw a mouse pad. And like a day later, my boss calls me in and she goes, so how do you think it impacts others when you are frustrated or stressed? And I was like, okay, what did I do? Like, just tell me what I did and we can work from there. I don't need to do this guided feedback. I'm open to knowing it did something wrong, you know? Yeah. She goes, well, Karen mentioned that you threw a mouse pad. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Not one of my better moments. And I thought that it stayed in my cube. Apparently it didn't. It sort of drifted towards her space. <laughs> I was like, got it. I won't throw mouse pads anymore. Like, I get this. You know, you know what I love what you're doing right now? Nines are what you see is what you get. And you're open mm-hmm. enough to tell us about a story that's maybe embarrassing that of like ridiculous. you throwing something. And as a three, threes are people who are like, oh my gosh, we try to make sure that everything looks successful. So we would never, I would never oh. talk about me like throwing something, you know, we would just avoid that part and talk about yeah. the good part of me. So I admire that about you. And I think that makes people want to come near you because people go, oh my God, me too. Well, the flip side of it too is, and I've heard this feedback as well, people say, well, stop being so self-deprecating. Why are you so down on yourself? And I think that there's a fine balance between being open and transparent and how that can come across to others as just being horrible. Mm, Well said. Because nines can beat themselves up. Oh, all the time. Big time. If they feel like they've hurt someone or they created a conflict or they were the cause of some sort of issue, mm-hmm. they get hard on themselves. That's a very, very good statement. In fact, let me read here some things that I've written down here that are indicative of healthy, average, and unhealthy nines. And as we've been talking about even last week, being healthy is a state of mind that you could have in a moment, but we can easily swing to another pendulum oh, within yeah. a given day and a different topic to unhealthy or yep. average. And so we're all a mixed bag is the point. And so here are, you know, what a healthy nine looks like. And this is the goal. Healthy nines are natural mediators. In fact, if you're a nine and you're young listening to this and you're like, what do I do with my life? They make great counselors. Nines perch at the top of the Enneagram. And if you look at a Google document of the Enneagram, you can see that they see the benefit of all numbers. And so oftentimes nines have the most difficult time discerning their number because they're like, oh yeah, I get that from the six. I I can see that from the five. I get that from the three. I get that from the two. Like, oh yeah, I've seen that in my one. The nines can identify with everybody, but that's also why they would make great counselors or great teachers. Like what you do, they're very loving people. Nines, good healthy nines are unselfish. They're flexible. They're inclusive. They seldom are attached to their own way of seeing or doing things. So they're open to other ideas. And so they've learned to make decisions based on the right priorities and they're anchored in their values. Like you could be trying to sell a nine something and the nine will cordially sit there and they will smile and they will be so sweet and kind. It just happened right before we came here. Really? Before I came here. Oh yeah. This woman was trying to sell me her books. It was a Barnes and Noble and she was like, oh, and here's all mine. And then I looked at the price point. It just doesn't fit with Christmas right around the corner, right into the budget. So well, thank you. If I could just have some information. She kind of got a little hostile on her face. <laughs> She's like, I thought she I thought had thought she you. had to say, all right, like she was ready to go. And I was like, I just, Christmas budget, it doesn't work. I would love to do some research, but I will take this information and come back to it later. That is so powerful. Nines are anchored in their values. Mm -hmm. And so they only make decisions based on that. So really interesting. Here's what average nines look like. While they come off as sweet and easygoing, they're secretly stubborn (laughs) or sometimes even out of touch with their anger. And so nines are in the anger triad. And so the eights, the nines, and the ones, we've talked about triads last week. They're the eights and nines and ones are all in the anger or gut triad. So you feel things in the gut. But while an eight, as we learned about last week, actually verbalizes their anger, 
the nine tries to fall asleep to it. You know, they're completely out of touch with it. And so nines who are average, they can overlook themselves feeling unimportant. They're willing to stand up for injustice on behalf of others, but sometimes not themselves. And they don't ask for much, even though they appreciate what others do for them. So that's what an average nine looks like. And then unhealthy nines, they just downright have trouble making decisions. Not just where do you want to go to eat? Because almost every nine's like, I don't care. You know, like I'll, I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> but just in other important decisions, they just have trouble making any decisions and they end up becoming overly dependent. Unhealthy nines numb sadness and anger. They're struggling to maintain the illusion that all is well. And that's really hard. And actually unhealthy nines will vacillate between acquiescence and sometimes just open hostility. So I'm curious for you, and again, you're a healthy nine, but talk to me about how some of that resonates with you. Because again, we're all a mixed bag. Yeah, hearing some of these statements, there's definitely elements of the average and unhealthy that come into play. Boy, I'm thinking about if I'm standing in front of a room, I'm good to lead and instruct and talk and do all of that. I'm at the same level. So say it's a meeting. I will not fight for airspace. So this just happened where I was asked to attend a meeting for feedback for one of the speaker organizations that I work for. And it was other speakers there of different topics and different tenures and a lot of different personalities in the room and some very strong energies. And there was one point where I had raised my hand. I had tried to interject, I mean, five different times, but there was a guy across the room who was laughing at the break because he's like, I am so curious to hear what you had to say because he saw that I couldn't find space in the room. And then at one point I had another comment and the curator made eye contact with me and then called on the guy two seats down from me who had his hand raised. And my natural inclination is like, fine then. I guess if you're not going to call me, then I'm just not going to say anything at all, right? And I will shut down. And I've had this happen where I've lost out on some really good learning experiences because my emotional response is, Forget it, I'm out of here. And I will just sit there and listen and not say a darn thing. And I thought, no, you did not fly me to San Diego for me to sit here and pout, make space. If this is a verbal group, then jump in. And so I worked on it for the rest of the day and was able to get my feedback heard and had some, what I feel were good contributions to the meeting, but I had to really be aware of it and really work in that. So I'm trying to remember which item you said that that connected to, but I think part of it is the overlooking, standing up for myself. I mean, those are areas I think where it can certainly be challenging. Hmm. The troublemaking decisions too. I remember I was with a friend and was trying to find my husband like a decongestant or something, but I had all this criteria in my mind about what I needed. She's like, just pick something. It's a decongestant. You can't go wrong. Anyway, it was hard to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even something as stupid as that, like seriously, it's a decongestant. (laughs) So what I have found in the decision-making realm is that because I'm usually good with going with the flow and with what other people decide. If it's not a critical decision for me, I'll allow others to make the decision and just go with them so that I can save that decision-making energy for those more critical decisions. Rather than me knowing I kind of have a limited well of that or that it's going to take more of my energy. And a lot of it comes down to seeing multiple perspectives. Seeing all those perspectives that have all these different sort of these little committee that's saying, oh, what about this? What about this? And trying to balance which one wins out. So knowing that it's more challenging, I'll save it for those spaces where it's more critical. Mm. So talk to me more about energy. So there's gold and there's shadow sides, right? There's the superpower, you know, which for a nine is easygoing, super likable, go with the flow type people. Everybody loves a nine. And the ability to be able to see life through other people's lens. Wow, what a gift for mediators as a nine. The shadow side of a nine is sloth. Yeah. And 
we talked about how with anger, nines try to forget it. How does anger and passion and sloth all integrate for you personally? I think in a lot of different ways. There was a book that I was reading that was talking about how you can tap into different energies and sort of rise to the person that you're supposed to be. And in one chapter, this woman was talking about how she had an anger moment. She was really frustrated about something and her natural inclination was just to squash it down. Just push it down, push it down, forget about it. We don't need to deal with that. Oh, you're not healthy when you get angry. Angry people are volatile. You can't trust them. They're too emotional, whatever those other perceptions are. But in this moment, she was talking to her husband and she was talking about how the anger then moved to another emotion, another emotion. She was able to use it to actually work through stuff and being a writer, channeled that energy then into passion where she was able to write five chapters in her book. And I thought, wow, what a great example of looking at the benefits of that energy and how you can use it to fuel you rather than feeling like you're not allowed to have that. And I think when I look at my natural reaction to anger, I don't like being angry. Sometimes I'll find that I apologize to people when I'm in a bad mood, when I'm tired, when I'm short-tempered because I feel like, oh, that's not being the easygoing self that I am. But I had a boss one time where I was talking about being in a bad mood. He goes, you've earned the right to be in a bad mood sometimes. And I'd never been given permission by somebody to be cranky. Wow. And it was so, it was like, oh, Thank you. And so I think by squashing that down and sort of skirting around those emotions, you do also lose the passionate side of that. I mean, passion and anger are connected. That when you turn that anger into something productive, you've got a fire in your belly. You've got some urgency that helps you get things done. And, and I certainly have had times in my life, I think I'm there right now where I'm trying to figure out what is that passion because I've just been walking, not walking around in a lull, but I feel like I've been floating for a couple years. Mm. I've been doing what I need to do to get things done, but I felt like I haven't had a target or that fuel or that, okay, here's where I can be really, really productive. And I think I've been settled into that sloth side of things and going, how do I get out of this? And then I just mm. overanalyze things and then I run through all the perspectives and then I don't do anything <laughs> or I clean. Yeah, one is a non as a mother, as a wife, you know, it's so easy to just in your personality type serve everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then even think that if you serve yourself, you're being selfish. Oh, yeah. I have a hard time taking, even if I say like, hey, is it okay? I asked my husband if it's okay for me to go take a bath. Mm. Like, what is he going to tell me? No. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit there and wrap up in a blanket. Like, it's kind of ridiculous now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> But I realize I ask him every single time, like, hey, I'm going to go take a bath. Is that okay? Yeah. You want to make sure that you're meeting other people's needs, but meeting your own. It's like if you can't first love yourself, it actually limits your ability to love others. And rationally, I know that, but emotionally, it's such a different experience. And that's been, I know, part of my current journey and moving forward is how do I make room for myself? Because I know that I'll be better. I'll have more energy. I'll be happier. I'll be more focused. Mm -hmm. I'll be more successful. We will have abundance coming not only to me, but to our family when I'm doing really well. But taking the time to do that yeah. feels like I'm putting somebody else second. I mean, I guess, which essentially I am. Yeah. I mean, that's been a challenge. Yeah. Nines are natural obligers. They will meet the outer expectations of others, but they fail to meet their inner expectations within themselves. Oh, always. And so nines over time do best when they have someone to keep them accountable. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. to their own core values, their own goals and motivation. And that brings the passion side into that. And actually what's beautiful about a nine is like every number, we go to another number when we're in stress and when we're in security. Mm -hmm. And what's cool about that story, you talked about that woman who was angry. She tried to forget about it, but she said, no, I'm going to use this and fuel it for productivity. Nines go to the three, which is the achiever, the one who can get shit done. In security, I think that's a really beautiful thing. That's like you have a purpose. That purpose brings passion. That passion brings productivity. Mm-hmm. And so how do you see that when you're in like the sweet spot? I know you've been kind of like saying, man, I've been kind of struggling yeah. for the last couple of years. But do you find that moment of like how that three resonates with you personally? Oh, absolutely. I think mine's a little bit more task focused. Like I said, I'm a doer. Yeah. So I think I'm a highly productive person when I have a target and I know what I need to achieve. So this is why going off to do my own consulting work has been an interesting challenge because I'm setting my own goals and targets. And I'm like, well, that could be anything. So that's why I've, I've been struggling, why I feel like I've been doing that floating thing. Because I'm like, okay, this works for now, but that's not what I want to do. But what do I want to do? There's all these options. I've thrived really well in what I would call a corporate environment. I mean, even just an office environment where there's established business. They know what they do. They know what their product is. And then I come in and I go, great. Here's how we can make this more efficient. Here's how we can capitalize this. Here's how we can streamline our processes. Here's how we can make things clearer. So as long as I have the framework to work in, I think I can be very successful because I know what I need to do. It's the boundaries that are helpful for me. Yes. It kind of brings in the focus. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, maybe some of that relates to because there are elements of all the numbers that I can see and connect into. If I don't know which one of those areas I'm going to focus on, it just, it gets hard to create focus. So if somebody can at least rein it in a smidge. Yes. That is huge for nines in the work environment. Yes. (laughs) That is amazing. So talk to me about where you go in stress. Nines go to the six, which is the loyalist. And the loyalists long for certainty. There's a lot of fear that comes. And I'm a three, so I share the six and the nine as Mm -hmm. well. Those three numbers are all interconnected, but in different ways. How does the six for you in particular, when you're stressed out, manifest. Yeah, I think I will give everything so as not to let someone down. So if I make a commitment and part of the peacekeeping is I overcommit because I don't want to say no because I don't want there to be conflict. So I will often commit to more than I think what is realistic. Mm. But then I will make sure that that gets done because I don't want to disappoint anybody. And so I will put in the long hours and put in the weekends and do all of the stuff so that I'm following through on my commitments. But to a point where then it ends up taxing me and now I'm no longer healthy. Yeah, you're loyal to everyone but yourself. Exactly. So if you want to be a healthy nine, I, the question is, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And I just, am I okay with that? I was listening to an interview, a podcast interview with, I think it was Liz Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert. She's an author. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love and a whole host of other books, right? And she was saying that she was saying yes to everything and realized she needed to start saying no, but she didn't want to say no because she didn't want people not to like her. And she goes, and guess what? I started saying no. And guess what happened? People didn't like me. And you know what? Like, I had to get over it. And I thought it was brilliant because she admitted it wasn't like, oh, I started saying no and people were okay with it. She was like, yeah, exactly what I feared came true. And so, but I recognize the importance of that no. And that's where... You know, when we talk about the different lessons that we work on in our life, that's certainly something that I haven't practiced very well Mm. and I haven't focused on a whole lot. 
But I recognize that it's necessary. So at some point, I'll pull that into my wheelhouse of things to focus on. Yeah, it's a cool growth area for you to think about like, oh, I do have core values. I need to go mm-hmm. back to reminding myself of what they are so that I know what my ultimate yes is. Well, when I was listening to one of your podcasts, you were talking about there's the ultimate and the immediate. Mm. And that really resonated of thinking about, okay, the immediate is I say, yes, I avoid conflict, whatever else. But the ultimate is it's at the risk of myself and I'm no longer able to give people the quality of who I am when I commit to everything. So being judicious about that and figuring out how it does connect to my values is important. Oh, that's amazing. That is so good. Well, let's talk about your wing. So every number, every type has a wing and the nine will go to either the eight wing or the one wing. The eight is the challenger. The one is the perfectionist. Where do you share in behavior in your wing? Any idea? Yeah, I think it's already sort of surface. I suspect I moved to the one. Like I like doing things right. And I like, I mean, some of those things about the commitments and following through. I don't like making commitments I can't do perfectly. And so, again, feedback I've received throughout my career is like, I gave you this side project. You didn't actually need to spend half your afternoon on it. I was thinking you would only spend like 45 minutes. I was like, well, you should have told me that from the beginning. (laughs) Um, I have it on a performance review somewhere. And then like this one example was written in the notes about example, like this license plate project. I will admit I haven't had an opportunity to do as much research on the one. But when I look at the different, the high level descriptions. That's a very good point though. One will spend ample time to make sure they've done it right always and so if you're an employer listening to this podcast it's very good if you're with a nine wing one or a one you know wing nine or two Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're clear on expectations because they will take the time needed to do what you might perceive as a trivial task that should take 15 minutes well and part of it is i feel like it reflects back on who i am so if i put out something that i know i can do better then now that's coming back on me and i don't want that to reflect on who i am and my productivity and my skill sets my professionalism, my reputation, all of these pieces, even though you know I'm fully aware a lot of people wouldn't even notice that there was more that could be done or that it could have been done better. Yeah. You know, nines do so well with getting along with almost everyone. But I'm curious for you, like, is there any misperceptions that people might have of a nine that you're like, hey, everybody who's not a nine, listen up, because this is what you need to know about us. It's a good question. I recently had an incident where, so I'm a Girl Scout troop leader. And there's a lot of parents that I'm working with, with just different personality types. And anytime you deal with parents and kids in an organized event, it just gets touchy. And there's one mom in particular who I had spent, I'm not joking, 10 hours to come up with this calendar and these outlines and all of these things because you just feel like we haven't really been organized the last couple of years. So I put a lot of time and energy into it. And I sent it out and said, we're looking at revising the meeting time. And the email back said, hi, didn't even have my name or my co-troop leader's name. It said, this new time will not work. My daughter has this other thing. I don't want to deprive her of this other experience and so forth. I was really put off by this email because I was like, oh, well, you're welcome for putting volunteer time into this. Like, right? There's the anger part where the first part of me is not thinking very nice thoughts. And we just don't jive. And it's really hard for me to recognize or to accept. I don't actually have to like everybody and they don't have to like me. It's been a really hard lesson and I'm still working on it. But when I was younger, I still remember this gal, Brandy, I was in fifth grade and she didn't like me. And so what did I do? I did everything in my power to try and make her like me. She wasn't even a nice person. Hmm. Like There wasn't even any value in having her be my friend. I didn't want to be friends with her. And maybe it comes back to that potential conflict part of things. Like, well, there's conflict. Somebody doesn't like yeah. me. So I think something to know about nines, you know, I think that we will be cordial. It's the peacekeeping part of things, but mm-hmm. that it's harder for us to set those boundaries around 
not being liked and not liking others and being okay with that. So where I've landed with this Girl Scout mom is like, you know, I'll work with her and we'll interact as needed, but it's okay if I don't like her. Mm. It doesn't mean I don't respect her or think that she's a nice person for somebody else. Just not for me. Yeah, that's so good. And I would say too, especially if you are more in an aggressive stance, married to, dating, interconnected to a nine, like if you're a three, a seven, or an eight in particular, those are the top three aggressive stances or types within the Enneagram. It'd be very easy for you to be in a relationship and get frustrated because you're like, my nine, you know, spouse or friend never gives an opinion, but maybe it's because you're the one always giving it and then asking them what they think. And so if you want to be in a relationship with a nine, say, hey, what would you like to do? Give them maybe two choices or three choices that you're liking so that's not overwhelming. Give them some parameters or some boundaries, but pause and allow them to be the one to make the decision. It may be harder for you because you're like, you know how to manipulate maybe that person. But if you really want to have true intimacy and true unity in a relationship, give them the time they need and the choice they need to be able to express that. And that'll help them continue to express that. I think another thing too that comes to mind as you're saying that is just because we go along with the flow doesn't mean we don't have opinions. I'm going to go back to the term energy. I'm going to save that energy for the places where it's really important. Usually when I agree to go with something, I'm genuinely fine with going along with it. It's just more comfortable that way. Don't read more into it than what it is. Mm. What I often tell people who are really driving personalities, who love conflict, who get energy from that challenge, who just, for them to be really direct, like if there's an issue or a situation at hand, let's just address it so we can move forward. There's sort of a quicker pace around that. What I'll often tell them is as much energy as it takes for you not to address that conflict. If I say, hey, somebody's really upset with you, you can't go talk to them. How that feels for that person is how it feels for me to actually go address it. Wow. So it's two different things that kind of give and take energy. So I'm going to be really cognizant about, is this the best place for me to use that energy? More often than not, it's like, no, I'm going to hold on to that for something more important. I'm good with whatever we decide. I'm good with wherever we land. That is amazing. That is so well said. And, you know, I think around the topic of energy, when it comes to making a decision, some types make molehills out of mountains, which I think is the nine. Oh, and then sure. other types make... <laughs> mountains out of molehills uh-huh. you know it's like ah everything's crazy and yes. big and huge and you know maybe the seven or the two some of those types like you know exacerbate you know things so the three can do that sometimes as well but for you it's like oh yeah it's okay it's okay it's okay because you're trying to figure out like is this worth my energy mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> to get out right now and it's a big deal so those of you who are twos again you got to go back to knowing your values and if you know what your values are that will help you know oh yeah this is worth fighting for Mm -hmm. this is worth communicating and then if you're married to or connected to a partner and they say hey i don't care and i genuinely don't care don't badger them and say yes you do you have opinions they may just genuinely be cordial yeah and be okay with going with the flow and then you've made it an argument now yes you made it which is how it's perceived right from the nine perspective like now you've made an argument now you've brought up conflict when there never was any to begin with yes and also put some ownership on that person like if i agree to go with something but I don't really want to, that's on me to speak up. Now, granted, the other person can create a safe space, like you just said, give some room, maybe give your opinion a second, like give some space for me to speak up. But if ultimately I continue to insist that I'm okay to go along with you and I'm not, then that's on me to figure out, boy, could I have spoken up more clearly? Could I have practiced a different skill set here? Could I have stepped out of my comfort zone and put myself first or put my perspective out there so that we could find a common ground? Wow. 
That's awesome. Well, as we close out, Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to share about a nine? I think one thing that comes to mind is because we're driving towards that peace, peacekeeping side of things, right? Not liking conflict. And I talked about earlier, not allowing some of that anger to come up and pressing that down. That I know personally when I have a lot on my plate, sometimes I get a little frazzled and I get this frantic energy. Gosh, I had a woman who I worked with at my old office who was a metaphysical coach and she used to go behind me and spray these like energy clearing sprays when I would leave a room. I was really offended when I found that out. And I think, yes, I recognize that that's not always a helpful energy, but one of the worst things you can do is say, well, just calm down. Because then one, now I do feel bad for having that energy surface, which I'm already self-conscious about anyway. And then now you're criticizing me for having the energy that I'm like, okay, I need to let this out. It's not helpful. It's not a helpful behavior. And really all it does is make me really, really angry. And then I get bitter and then like I press the anger down and it becomes this unhealthy cycle. So I think telling somebody who's in that frantic state, like, oh, just calm down and you need to chill out. It's probably not helpful language. Maybe saying something like, hey, is there a way I can help? Is there something I can do? Or you know what? Get it all out. I get that you're frustrated or you're frazzled right now or you're feeling a little bit frantic, like run that out and then come back to me you know, when you're in a calmer space. Yeah, that's so good. You know, as we close out too, I just want to say that those of you who are the type nine or you think maybe you are or you're connected to someone who is, remember the core motivation is to have peace. And oftentimes what we do is that we sacrifice true peace on the altar of false harmony. We end up going for what's immediate and that's to do whatever's easy and to whatever's going to keep the peace immediately to make a molehill out of a mountain, but it ends up truly sacrificing the struggle and the beauty of true peace. And that's the life goal for so many nines is I want to have that. And so if you want to have true peace, you have to go through conflict. I know that's scary. I know that's not easy, but it's okay. And once you become healthy, you'll go through conflict. You realize you can't stuff it. You can't avoid it. You can't pretend like it's not there. You can't forget it or fall asleep to it. You got to lean into it. And true conflict is actually an opportunity for unity. And if you take that phrase and it becomes your mantra and you live it out, you'll start to experience the kind of peace that you've always longed for. So Aaron, thank you so much for being on this podcast and cheers to you guys. And we'll see you next week as we unpack Enneagram type one. Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.